Welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to follow your passion and purpose. My name is Kitty Waters. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of ATL Europe Group, also the creator of Kitty Talks. Our mission is to inspire a generation of changemakers to follow their passion and purpose and make a difference on the planet. All our interviewees have been carefully selected and you will hear amazing inspirational stories of people who have listened to their little voice and followed their purpose. They will reveal bite-sized tips and success secrets that can help you to fulfill your passion and purpose on the planet. Be sure to head over to kittytalks.com and sign up for our exclusive club where you can hear behind-the-scenes footage. These interviews will inspire you to take action. Please like and share so others can have the courage to follow their passion and purpose too. Hello and welcome to Kitty Talks. And today I have with me international aid worker Linda Cruz. Hi Linda. Uh, hi there, how are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. How are you doing? Brilliant, absolutely brilliant, thank you. So Linda is an international aid worker, disaster management specialist, and she has over 15 years of frontline humanitarian aid work. So her work has taken her to every continent on the planet, and generally, from what I understand, Linda, correct me if I'm wrong, but after a natural disaster, such as a tsunami, an earthquake, you get that phone call and basically get the phone call to say, can you come and help us? Well, actually, it's slightly stranger than that because what I do, Kitty, is I don't actually wait for the phone call. See a disaster in the third world and I just literally buy a one-way ticket on the plane and go. Ever wait for a phone call. I know that I have the skills and ability and capacity to be there during the absolute disaster. Even though my main role is recovery, because after about eight to 12 weeks, the big aid agencies leave, they've done their work, they've delivered the tents and everything else and the emergency equipment. And then these people who have survived the disaster are left with very little help to help them actually recover, to rebuild their lives again, fully to be able to stand alone with independence. So that's my big role is recovery, but I never wait for that call. I just jump on that plane. Yeah, well, this is it. You kind of just jumped on a plane and sort of see where life would take you. Totally right. Totally right. Yeah. So that's a big message. Don't wait to be asked. If you feel that passion to do anything in your life and that push is so strong, do it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things we want to get across in Kitty Talks is the fact that, you know, we all kind of have a mission and calling. It's just tuning into what we're getting, isn't it? So totally. Yes, it is. Yes, absolutely. So you're described, Linda, I love this, I thought it was brilliant, as a cross between Florence Nightingale and Indiana Jones. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, I have been called a few things. I've also been called Mary Poppins, which makes me laugh. It's like, I have to be there, but when everyone's okay, I just leave them to it. That is my benchmark of success, is to make myself redundant. I've also been called Mary Poppins. When the job is done, you don't need to stay. Once you've empowered people for the actual programme, you must move on. Yeah. So talk us through, because I know we um, chatted briefly earlier and you said you've got a couple of major projects on the go at the moment. What is it that you're focusing on currently? Well, currently, yes, I've got three major projects. Nepal had two big earthquakes just over a year ago. And so I've been working on recovery projects with them now for quite some time. 
and still am two massive earthquakes even shifted Everest you know the highest mountain in the world yeah so most of the very remote communities I'm working with lost everything their homes their livelihoods and multiple loved ones so and it's a developing country the people need as much help as we possibly can but the way I'm working there is rebuilding people's livelihoods so it's very much family by family and I call them the forgotten families because basically as I say the media has moved on we believe in our first world environments that these people must be okay now but they don't have the financial security or the social security that supports them because this is you know not a first world government like we have and so literally I will look to see the passion and the purpose of the community and I've just set someone up on this amazing she wanted to be a candle maker because they have 16 hours of no electricity per day in Nepal Wow. And so candle making is an incredible business for her, even in her very remote location. And it cost us $100, that's all, to set her up in business. And now she's so successful. Every candle she makes, she makes 50% profit on it. And now she's got her sisters working with her, and she's got a great cooperative going. Oh, fantastic. Just a $100 intervention. Yeah. So this is what we're doing globally. But Nepal is my big project. I'm also working in Ecuador. So Ecuador had also had a big earthquake this year. Again, these remote Amazon jungle areas, they really need our help. The same process, we're looking to set them up in small, successful entrepreneurial businesses, very targeted, and we've done business plans for all of them, and literally we can uplift a family with $100. The other project is in Uganda, and as we know, the world is really suffering and wanting to help the refugee crisis. And this is refugees that are streaming in from South Sudan into Uganda. And again, these people don't want to receive handouts, mm. Handouts mm. create beggars. We've got to give them a hand up yeah. and enable them to be self-sufficient. So those are my three key projects at the moment. Fantastic. Well, that's, you know, that old, old analogy, which is so true, is teach a man to fish. This is exactly what you're doing. Totally. Yeah. No, fantastic. So yeah. you're self-sustainable. Oh, yes. No one, wherever you're born in the world, wants to just sit there and have their hand out. Because eventually, finally, if you do that, your self-esteem and your dignity just disappears and you're left a broken person. Mm. We all want to be able to educate our children, put food on the table and wake up knowing that you can actually be independent. And this has been my mission for nearly 17 years. I've been doing this now, Kitty. It's a long, long time. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. And then... I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about, you know, because if I'm listening to this, you know, I'm thinking, how on earth did this woman get into this? You know, how did you go from living in England to now being an international aid worker? Um, so can you tell us, like, what was the story behind you leaving, I suppose, England? Oh, totally. I mean, basically, I born in England. I met my Prince Charming when I was 16 years old and got married when I was 20 and just had one of those incredible, wonderful romances. And by the time I was 24, I had two gorgeous children and I was really as happy as a bee. But, you know, as life happens, my first career, I started nursing when I was 18 years old and loved it so much I never wanted to be off duty. It was absolutely what I was born to do. It was I just loved being able to help people and care for them in hospital. But towards the end of my 20s, my marriage dissolved. And I realized that I had to take a job that actually, that I was able to take care of my children properly because, you know, I was one of those women who 
wanted to be a superwoman. I mean, I really needed to be able to give my children everything to be able to enable them to have their school trips and have you know, their proper education and also the extra activities that cost a lot of money. Yeah. So I reluctantly left my nursing and looked for a job that would pay that. And at the time, it was in the pharmaceutical industry that they were desperate to have the skills and the abilities of nurses. So I took a job um, as a sales rep in a pharmaceutical company because it ticked all the boxes. I had a company car. I had a great salary. I had regular salary. But actually, as I worked in this, and I realized that for me as a nurse at that time, it did not sit well with my soul. Because many of the drugs and the things I was actually talking to the doctors about, deep, deep down in my soul, it didn't resonate with me. Mm. And the actual culture of very high sales and hype and that culture was just didn't sit with me. And I became more and more unhappy, Kitty. Mm. So basically what happened was in my darkest moments when I would come home and have that extra glass of wine or I would cry myself to sleep, I kept thinking to myself, it doesn't matter. And as a parent, many of us think that. We put ourselves last. We bury our troubles under the carpet. You know, I'm doing this for my children. They're happy and it's all succeeding and I'm paying the mortgage and the bills. But it came to a critical, critical point. And I'd been um, at a sales conference in the north of England. And it'd been one of those sales conferences where, again, the emotion was high, but constantly I was thinking, my God, this is making me miserable. Mm. Um, and I left in the middle of the night to drive back to my home. And it was a dark winter's night, way before the time of mobile phones. And as I was driving home, I felt this terrible, terrible stabbing pain behind my eyes. The pain got so bad and the curtains came down and I went blind as I was driving. Now, I have no idea how I pulled that car over to the hard shoulder. I've thought about it many, many times, whether it was intuition or the angels. But I sat there on the hard shoulder blind, scared, angry, confused, not being able to call anyone or get out the car. And I sat there thinking my life is over. I'll never see my children again. I'll never work again. Uh, Why me, God? Why did this happen to me? And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, and praying actually, because, you know, I think our lives are so fast and furious. We often forget there's a greater hand in our lives. Mm. And I did start to pray to this God that I hadn't thought about for many, many years. And I said, you know, if my sight comes back, I promise that I will find my passion and my purpose. And I just sat there with floods of tears and angry and confused and upset thinking, what is going to happen next? And I mean, I was very, very lucky my sight returned. And Having then consulted the medical profession, they said it's not an uncommon thing, which I've never heard about, and they call it stress blindness or hysterical blindness. And what happened was it was the most dramatic for me wake-up call. Right. And it was that dramatic moment that actually changed my life. Because I just can't fathom, like, that is just incredible. Um, What was it that you decided on that night? Well, because I promise that the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, that I would be more conscious about my living. The first thing I did was I, when I got back to my children, I said, I am really unhappy and I need to be able to start to rebuild my life and restructure it. 
But my children were still very much dependent on me. So I couldn't just jack it all in and say, I'm not going to earn this, you know, do this high paying job anymore. And I really want to convey this message to anyone listening. All we need to start to do is to take baby steps towards our goal and what we feel we want to do. Because we do, all of us have so many commitments and dependence or things that we have to do. And, you know, this part of living. Yeah. But what I realized that first thing I could do was to change the way I was interacting and communicating with people. Because as we all know, the only person you can ever change is yourself. You can never change anyone else. Yes. So I looked initially at the language I was using because I realized I'd become very miserable and unhappy. I looked to my conversations with friends and loved ones and colleagues. I had become the most miserable person out. I mean, my conversations were, the weather's bad today. And a friend said that to me. I would reply by, yes, it's going to be worse tomorrow. And mm. guess what? You know, I know that I don't have enough money to buy the right food for my children. Or isn't that boss really disgusting and horrible to us all? My whole conversation was negative. There wasn't a positive word coming out of my mouth. And of course, as we know, everything we say and what we focus on expands and all I was focusing on is negativity. And so this was my key, key thing. And I actually engaged my children in this process of becoming a positive person and losing my negativity. I said to them, we are going to have a swear box for negative words. Three key words we're going to try and eliminate from our vocabulary is no, not, and don't. Now, can you imagine for teenage kids? That's very difficult. (laughs) Me and my children, but we all pledged to do it. We all pledged to do this. But I tell you, that swear box at the end of the year was quite full. Yeah, I can imagine. a very good holiday from it. (laughs) (laughs) But it got us out of a very bad habit. It actually set my teenage children on a very positive habit. And a key way as well that we started to eliminate negativity was having the pledge that for a whole month, we would not listen to the news. Because as we know, when we turn on the radio and the TV and the news is on, yeah. We start to regurgitate a lot of the stuff that's saying none of it is positive. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of so many dramatic things happening in the world. That was one of the inspirations for doing this, Linda, because it's um, by sharing your story, other people's stories, you know, actually we're highlighting what we can do actually when we tune into what we enjoy. Really. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And well done you for setting up this environment <laughs> for people because we want people regurgitating and telling on and passing forward positive stories inspirational stories not the negative stuff that was constantly picking up from the newspaper the radio and the tv so your kids were like teenagers when this happened totally yes but what i also must urge people and you you i know you'll agree with this kitty is that you know when you actually start to turn off the negative you absolutely have to turn up the positive so when i turned off the tv i said to the kids right we're going to put on a comedy show we're going to put on positive music, we're going to put on dance music, we're going to dance around the living room. We're going to fill that void of negativity with a very high energy positivity. So you tell the positive stories, you listen to comedy, you actually change the vibration. And once you start to talk about positive things and you listen to high energy music, you start to sort of change your direction to more and more of that. So we filled it, this negative void, with positivity. And I was surprised how much my conversations changed with colleagues and friends and family. And actually, I lost a few friends, Kitty, Mm. because, you know, what is the famous saying? You become who you have coffee with. Yes. And actually, some people need to have a circle of negative friends 
And, and if they're not at the right stage as you are to actually get out of that negative state, you might have to move on. And you're not being unkind, but you're trying to take care of yourself as much. When they're ready to change, they will be. And I'm not really being too dramatic because we all need to download and expel our stress and our negativity, but confine it. Yeah. Confine it to five or ten minutes. Don't talk about it for an hour. Absolutely. Don't repeat yourself. So don't spread it in emails to everyone you know. Confine <laughs> it. Yeah. But so you had this pivotal thing happen, this amazing like life shifting event. You then kind of yeah. went to your kids and you said, Okay, we're changing the way we live and we're gonna live a more yeah life and you were taking baby steps how did you yes. get from there to doing what you're doing now well that's again I mean it took a number of years but I suppose what I did is I really started to constantly look for signs as to what my big what I was born to do I really urge people to have this process of reflection because we have signs around us all the time and it's generally Things that we do that the time flies by and we have no idea that it, we've used one or two hours thinking about, reading about, researching, watching a movie about. And these are the signs of where our passion and purpose is. And for me, it was I needed to get back into a caring profession. Mm -hmm. But when I looked to see who I was, I mean, I'm a great traveler. I love differences. I love different cultures. I've got a smart business brain. I've got a great caring attitude. I love differences. I love travel. And as I just thought about all these things, and the sort of movies I was watching, I realized I was going to be drawn to being out in the remote areas of the world. I am an adventurer. I am a pioneer. And I needed to care for people. So I put it all together. And it was, I need to care for people in the most desperate hellholes of the world. And people who have had extreme problems. And I realized this and, and I didn't feel at all drawn to start to go back to school and, and study it. I needed to just really test myself if I could manage and be of service. And that's my big thing. I feel that we, there is all of us, we have some service element to our lives. How could I be of service to the world and use all these skills? Yeah. Fantastic. So for people listening to this, you know, they don't know their passion or their purpose or what it is that they want to do um, with their lives. Like, what would you encourage to kind of look for the things that they enjoy? Yes, I think number one, and often it's something that we did when we were in our teens or when we were teenagers. And because we became responsible adults, we buried that passion and we went on. And often I look at it like almost a plane going from uh, London to New York. But if you start to slightly go off track when you're in your teens or when you get married and when you start to have your first job. We're so excited by these different opportunities that come to us because it gives us more stability or money. We can go right off track and although your destination was to go to New York and become a chef because your passion was cooking when you were a teenager, you could wake up when you're 50 and you're ending up in Las Vegas rather than New York as an insurance broker because you forgot your passion was being a chef when you were a teenager. You go right off course. And it can be by degree by degree as the years go by. Mm. So my first thing is go back to the times when you were a teenager and what was your passion then? The other great exercise I give people, which I find that they absolutely love and gets you back into your passion, is who are your heroes? I know this is a strange question, but and it, even if you're 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, who are your heroes? 
because I reflected on my heroes. And you mentioned at the beginning of uh, this talk that I'm often referred to as Florence Nightingale and Indiana Jones. Now, when I look at my heroes, I have people like Alexander David Neal. Now, she was the first woman who ever entered Tibet a long, long time ago, an incredible adventurer and a pioneer. And I realized that when you look at your heroes, whoever your heroes are, that's actually who you want to be, right? Yes. It's actually who you want to be deepest, deepest in your soul. And although your heroes may seem a million miles away from where you are, the clues are in your heroes. So for me, this great pioneer and adventurer had been out there. She trailblazed. She's gone to the remotest areas. Um, another hero for me is Florence Nightingale, an incredible pioneer nurse, carer, who'd gone right to the front line. So what I've done with my life, I've gone to the front line. I've been that carer pioneer. So, yeah, the clue is in the, in the people that you admire, effectively. Yes, really. So tell us about that first trip that you did. So the first time you went away. Yes, the thing is, the first trip I did was actually I went to a rural part of China. But why I went there, and I just bought like the one-way ticket, I just wanted to know, and I had no job to go to. So that's why, you know, again, and I've carried on this throughout my whole life, don't feel just because there's no job description for what you want to do. Don't ever let that stop you doing it, because you can always create your own job description, your own life. But do take baby steps. So for me, my baby step was to go somewhere to test myself if I had the capacity and the resilience and if I could be of service in this type of environment I wanted to spend the rest of my life in and doing. See, when I went to China, I wanted to go to an environment where there was no one else speaking my language. There were no other foreigners there. No one spoke English. So could I exist in a country where... My goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But to me, I needed to because, I mean, I was 40 years old when I started this. so I wasn't a spring chicken, but I needed to test myself. And, you know, could I literally be in an environment where I didn't recognize one dish on the menu? Actually, because we are creatures of comfort and habit, so I needed to shake myself up. You know, was I okay to, you know, to go into a restaurant where I couldn't speak to anyone? I recognized nothing on the menu. And could I sleep? where in a condition where the sanitation wasn't very good, where I didn't have a flushing toilet, where the cockroaches were the size of gerbils. And I'm like, I had to test myself. And then I sort of, you know, my actual life skills. So I was a nurse. I was a a businesswoman. I was a teacher. I was a mother. These are all incredible skills that often we take for granted. Even being a parent is an incredible skill set that you've got. Absolutely. So I used all of this. And every time I entered and tested out these skills, I remember going to this lovely company in rural, rural China and saying, and I was talking to one of these guys and they said, yeah, we now need to start communicating with Western companies. We don't know the etiquette. Can you help us? And I said, absolutely. You know, we all have skills that we we take for granted. So I went in there and I helped them to say, like for British people, we love to talk about the weather. So (laughs) when you start to have a conversation with people, you say to them, what's the weather like with you today? And that's a great intro to having a conversation with someone in the Western world. So the silliest things, the the small things enabled me to realize that I had a lot to offer and to be of service. And I didn't do any aid work per se at all in China, but I did realized that I had the capacity and the skill, resilient and able to embrace different cultures, different people, different food, different environments. And that's when I started my first aid 
project and that was in India working with Tibetan refugees. Again, I just went. I didn't wait to be asked to be called. I went to see what I could do to be of service. And it's true what you're saying. I think that we all have innate skills that because they are innate in us, we don't recognize them. Um, the clues, I think, are in our life path and life journey. And you hinted earlier when you were talking about how there's almost like a bigger plan for us. Yes. Is that what you believe? Oh, gosh, totally, 100%. And I just think, and I think actually most of us, if we, we're also very busy, Kitty, and I think that's why we miss these clues and we all often miss that there is a greater hand guiding us somehow. Because how many times have we missed a train or a plane? And having done that, we've had a great conversation with someone that's led something else. And I think there's a great quote by the Dalai Lama on it. Not getting what you want is often the greatest stroke of luck. Mm. Because there is a greater hand. And I think when things don't go right, we have to realize that there is something bigger, better and greater waiting for us. Whether that's a relationship, a job, a phone call. There is a jewel in that experience and don't get frustrated by it. Such an empowering way to look at life as well, you know, like that life happens for us, not to us. You know, I think that's so, so important. And I think I love hearing stories, you know, you hear about people who have been made redundant, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to them, you know, so that totally follows that. Yes, it does. It does. And it's very important to know that I do believe we've all been born for a specific purpose. We have. And if we have the luck to find that, that is the jewel. And the clues are always in what we love to do. And I think, sadly, our school system and our education system lets us down with that because we've become slightly programmed robots. You know, it's like constantly, if we've done this, then we have to find... We go to university, we find the first job, we get our mortgage, we have our car, we have our two kids, and we feel we're in this programmed race to get to the end. But what is at the end? There's nothing at the end. We die, Mm. right? So I think every step is, as I always say, we come with nothing and we go with nothing. And at the end of the day, all we have is our story. And your story is what you experience, what you do, what you leave behind. Mm. And, you know, how do we want to be remembered? It's by leaving a footprint. It's finding what we can do to share joy, to share happiness, to improve the world in our own way, to shine that torch around our own feet, not take on the big global problems. That's, you know, we don't, that's not what I'm saying. But how can we make a difference in our family, in our community, literally shine that torch around our feet but we've all been given that jewel and that gift and it could be we're the greatest hugger in the world yes. and we literally are able to be that classroom assistant that teacher that that mother that aunt that uncle that the kids come to and have a big hug and you say well done yeah it can be the smallest the biggest and they're all are profound yeah and we must never underestimate just a smile Absolutely. Um, smile can change someone's day someone's world someone's life um, but we must keep searching and never give up that search for finding what we are what is our gift to the world because we each have one yes totally totally absolutely I, I completely resonate with what you're saying and I think when we enjoy that's a real clue as well because I think the more we enjoy something the more it gives us pleasure you know I think life wasn't meant to be difficult it was meant to be easy but I think like you said our education system forces us down a route where 
we potentially feel we have to conform rather than what I want to show people is actually we can do whatever we want to do. We just have to create it, you know, and actually have that vision. Yeah. And like you said, Linda, take little steps kind of every day, really, towards what it is. We yeah, want. so I got this wonderful friend who, again, she had a goal to, she had a, she had a reasonable life in England. She was absolutely fine. But her goal was to live in France. And she actually just took baby, baby steps. She had no idea how she would get there. But every single day she did one teeny tiny thing to get to fulfill her dream. She would learn a phrase in French. She would research a timetable, the bus timetable in this area of France she wanted to go to. She would start to actually research, you know, what community group she could join there. Within two years, she had a glorious home in France and she has set up her life the way she's wanted it. And it was literally teeny tiny steps and just building her vision and the energy and the excitement and the universe just opened the doors, opened the doors and there she is. Wow. So, you know, never, ever give up on your dreams and just do it. Every single day they'll have a discipline in doing one, one tiny thing and it literally could take you five seconds. Yeah. But incrementally, the universe will realize that you've got that dedication, that, that passion to be there, and it happens. Yeah. Nothing is impossible. Everything is possible. And tell us, because I believe exactly the same thing, and I think the synchronicities flow when you're on the right path. Um, I think the universe almost gives you signs to say you're going in the right direction. Have you had any kind of interesting synchronicities over your, over your time? Oh, goodness me, I had billions. I can imagine. Like, oh, yes, I mean, I had billions. I mean, I think, in, like, for many, many, many years, I wanted to meet His Holiness the Dalai Lama, especially when I started my aid career. And I just knew that he's someone that I admire and respect. And, I mean, that is an understatement. I hugely admire and hugely respect. And just by doing some very small aid projects that I was doing in, in India, one of my first absolute um, projects, he invited me personally to go and have a private audience with him. And again, it was my wildest dream that that would happen. I went on and did projects in, with Tibet and elsewhere in the world. And I just think you have to hold the vision. Again, how I met Richard Branson was exactly the same thing. I just knew that one day the synergy would happen. And bit by bit, I visualized it. I personalized it. I carried on doing my work until I got the call to go and meet him in Johannesburg and Soweto. So I think the biggest and the smallest things are all within our grasp. I am a great believer in that we are co-creators of the world. I totally believe in the law of attraction. I totally believe what we focus on expands. So I always say, do not focus on your bill. Because if you focus on your bills, they just get bigger. Yes, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And everything is energy as well, I, I believe. You know, like money is energy. And so if you focus on the lack, that's what you're going to get more of. Whereas if you... Yes stay open and that includes obviously not going completely crazy if you haven't got any money but it's, it means keep spending because it's kind of like almost like a tap you know that the money and the energy will flow through you basically yes 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 and i think part of it as well is and that's why the, all of this i believe is linked to finding your gift and your purpose and your passion because it's all about pure intention you know if you are so determined to find you know the, the way because i think the greatest human need kitty is contribution there's many, many different things in our world that we, we, we need security, we need, we need safety, we need... But actually, the thing that really takes us on a greater high is contribution. And, I mean, when I was working with one of the very big companies in Thailand after the tsunami, 
they yeah. gave company employees a day a week to come with me to the front line and actually help out. And it was a big company and they did it for a, a six months. And the employees were working less hours in their business. And the company was very happy to do that because they were actually contributing to a major disaster. But when the global chair of this company came to thank them after six months of doing this volunteering, he said the most strange thing has happened. During this period of time where you've worked, worked less hours, our productivity has gone up. Wow. Now, why did that happen? Because contribution is the greatest human need. When we're of service to people, we feel better. That feel-good factor sends us in a different zone. We're not in an automatic, on a hamster wheel zone. We're on, I am doing something, I'm giving back to the world. So, again, if you can incorporate any of us contribution in our day-to-day lives, or at least once a week, help someone else out. And that can be literally spending another hour on the phone talking to a friend who is in a desperate situation or babysitting for a friend or helping, you know, going to the local hospital and sitting next to a, a patient who has no relative. It can be the smallest way, but contribution is the greatest human need. And our lives change when we start to focus on others and not ourselves. Yeah, no, that's so true because I think people get depressed and that's all about them looking internally about what's wrong with them and what's going on with them. Whereas actually, like you said, it's look outside of ourselves and how we can help others it shifts our focus yes totally oh fantastic oh linda thank you so much it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today for people out there listening your story of getting to the point where you literally lose your vision and it's basically had its massive kind of epiphany that you were doing things not the right way and then obviously taking a step one step at a time you know towards your goal so for people out there listening you know if you're in a job that you're not enjoying and you don't really like what's happening in your life, you know, focus on where you want to go and then day yes. by day, take those little steps towards what it is you want your life to look like. Yes, totally, totally. And I, I just say we have to also credit you, Kitty, because you've given us the platform to be able to share these inspirational stories and have this great network of supporting each other and your I mean and I have full respect and full credit for you Kitty well done thank you so much and Linda and one final thing people out there listening who have been kind of moved by the story is there anything that you're looking for at the moment I know you have your kind of be the change program yes I am constantly looking for people to join the movement of becoming um, great humanitarians in our own communities at home and abroad I do have a website, which is lindacruz.com. Cruz spelled C-R-U-S-E, and I'm sure Kitty will put that up for you all to know. lindacruz.com. Yeah. But I have programs where I take people with me to the front line, and you come and actually experience what it's like so you can help and actually contribute in that way. And I get people to help me solve problems more than anything. So I use people's skills when you come with me. I also have online courses which people can join me with. And I, anyone would like to contribute, small as $100, I do have a donate site on my website where and $100 can change a family's life generationally and you'll see all the examples on the website. So never think it's a huge amount of money that changes lives. It's literally $100, US it's nothing, £70. So yes, please do. I mean, I feel part of my mission is to create a community of people, of like-minded souls who wish to make the world a much, much better place. And it is a community that come together for conferences, for trips, virtually online. And I welcome any of your listeners to that also, Kitty. Thank you so much for asking. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Linda. And uh, I really, as I said, really appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure, Kitty. Thank you. 
thank you so much for listening to Kitty Talks. Be sure to head over to our kittytalks.com website become a member of our exclusive club and you'll get free interviews and access to our private Facebook group. Exclusive webinars and secret success interviews. See you there.